Hey, it's Alex Pearson from On Point today on the podcast. We talked to Wayne Dupree of The Wayne Dupree Show. He's, of course, an American conservative talk show host. We had a great conversation about sports teams boycotting the games as protests and what he feels will happen uh, now that they're doing it. Do we actually get change? So it's a great conversation. We also speak to Jason Clemens. Guess how much money is being taken from COVID relief for people who don't need it, $22 billion going to those who make a hundred grand plus. Talk about abuse. We'll talk about that much more, but let's get started. What's your point? You just don't ever get the point. Am I getting through to you? That's the point. Do you understand? There is a point. A point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Are you listening? When we take the court and represent Milwaukee and Wisconsin, we are expected to play at a high level, give maximum effort, and hold each other accountable. We hold ourselves to that standard, and in this moment, we are demanding the same from lawmakers and law enforcement. The games will go on, but no playoffs tonight as the NBA tries to balance the game versus the cause their players say they're fighting for. Alex Pearson here with you on this Thursday, August 27th. Here we are almost at the end of the month and still more summer to go. But it has been a real roller coaster of a day in um, in the sports world now kind of more newsy than sporty. But, uh, of course, the NHL and the NBA joining in this boycott movement. So there will be no games tonight. Uh, But not a total boycott because the NBA is, in fact, going to continue the playoffs starting on the weekend. And I think, you know, had they been canceled, the conversation then ends because the players go home, the headlines fade, and that they have to now play and will play forces the issue to stay in the spotlight. It forces the conversation. And that means folks have got to be willing to listen. And that is in very short supply these days. But I... You know, you ask yourself, will this actually move anything or is this going to become just another moment of slogans and gestures? Because talk is great, but if it doesn't walk, then it's nothing more than that. I mean, it changes nothing. And that's kind of what we generally get. We get the hashtags, we get the symbolism, you know, the prime minister taking a knee. And then what? I mean, it's not stopping the headlines about young dead black men. It's not stopping the headlines about injustice at the hands of police. So talk and gestures, they make us feel good, but what is needed is actual policy change, you know, for those in charge to deliver on these hollow words that we hear all the time. And then, you know, we let it slide when they don't deliver because, well, it's not happening in our backyard. It's not our problem, except it is. I mean, we got a gang war in our own city of Toronto. You got shootings all over the GTA. It's happening so often that we barely talk about it anymore. It's kind of just met with a shrug. But if you um, if you live in these areas, in these communities, I mean, imagine how that feels. And so I look at it standing back today, and, and the NBA certainly has the power. They've got the power and the money to pressure those in charge to act. It's, a, it's an election year in the United States. I mean, if ever there was a time for politicians to be held to account, it is right now. I mean, the spotlight is on them. What you got for us? What are you going to do? But, you know, the league also has very, very deep pockets themselves. They've also got a lot of power to create opportunity themselves. I mean, not just in basketball for the players they hire, but in the communities where they play. 
in the communities, you know, plagued by violence. They can create jobs, they can build schools, they can create after school programs, mentorship programs. They can give those in vulnerable communities a reason to care, you know, a reason to have hope. And if the opportunity is provided, uh, there's no question people will take it. But the players themselves also have the power and, and a whole lot of influence to make change. And a lot of them, sure, already do charity work. Certainly we know the Raptors do. But they've also got a lot of money and influence uh, also to push things like mentorship, mentorship of young black kids, you know, getting involved in the lives of young black men who lack father figures. They can encourage family values. They can also put spotlights on programs like Big Brothers of Canada, where, you know, young people can go and, and get support. I mean, they can make these things cool again. And what they can also do is they can speak out and call for calm when we see all this violence erupting. You know, Drake, he's always at the games. He's, he considers himself kind of a teammate of the Raptors. I mean, he's got a key to our city. How come he's not speaking out? Where's his voice? All of these people can be speaking out instead of saying nothing. They can all be acting. They can they can raise their voice and join with the mother of uh, Jacob Blake. Julia Blake, uh, in the last couple of days, has has been speaking out. She's the one directly in pain, yet listen to what she says. As I was riding through here, through the city, I noticed a lot of damage. It doesn't reflect my son or my family. If Jacob knew what was going on as far as that goes, the violence and the destruction, he would be very unpleased. So I'm really asking and encouraging everyone in Wisconsin and abroad to take a moment and examine your heart. I, I think this woman's remarkable. I, I honestly, I, she speaks and I listen. Um, and I think her voice should be echoed by those with all this influence by these players because she inspires a really thoughtful conversation that, that, that should be heard. And she's not angry. I mean, her son's laying in a hospital bed, yet she's not yelling and screaming. She's not destroying things. In fact, she's praying for the police officers. She said, I, I, I pray for these police officers involved. She's calling for calm. And this next clip is a bit long. But I mean, I could honestly, I could have played all her interviews. They're really compelling. But listen to her message. How dare we hate what we are? We are humans. God did not make one type of tree or flower or fish or horse or grass or rock. How dare you ask him to make one type of human that looks just like you? Wow. I'm not talking to just Caucasian people. I am talking to everyone. White, black, Japanese, Chinese, 
red, brown. No one is superior to the other. The only supreme being is God himself. Please, let's begin to pray for healing for our nation. We are the United States. Have we been united? Do you understand what's gonna happen when we fall? Because a house that is against each other cannot stand. To all of the police officers, I'm praying for you and your families. To all of the citizens, my black and brown sisters and brothers, I'm praying for you. I believe that you are an intelligent being just like the rest of us, everybody. Let's use our hearts, our love, and our intelligence to work together to show the rest of the world how humans are supposed to treat each other. Yeah, and, and that's just a little bit of what she said. I found her her remarks uh, very, very compelling. Given that um, uh, what she you know what, what she's the center of, she's not blaming anybody. She's not screaming at anybody. It's just a thoughtful conversation worth listening to. And you know we don't have the racial issues of injustice and violence like what we see in the United States. That does not mean we don't have issues in this country. We do, of course, we do, and change can happen. I do actually think it's starting to happen. Small steps. I mean, the SIU going public with their report just the other day, you know, where they held a pro- press conference laying out all their findings in the Regis uh, Kurchinsky case. Well, okay. That is something they've never done. Small step in change because they know that they're going to be held to account. They need to do more. The shield of blue needs to go on both sides of the border. We finally have body cams finally in 2020 have body cams. These are all steps in the right direction that will lead to accountability and more trust. And the sooner these things come into play, the faster that trust will be built. But it does take time. It takes a real commitment. And it takes a commitment from the lawmakers who talk a lot, but that's all they do is talk. I mean, we've got gang warfare playing out in our streets and no one has the will to take it on. And sure, we do have some bad cops. But we have a lot of young recruits coming through the ranks who are diverse. You know, they come from these vulnerable communities. They know what's going on. They don't need less money. They need, they, they need more investment in better training. They need more support at a time when they're just being absolutely ripped to shreds. I mean, can you imagine how hard it would be to be a cop today? Never mind in Canada. Can you imagine what it would be like in the U.S.? And I do think in the U.S. they have to change their hiring practices. But, you know, how can you do your job if you're just second guessing yourself all the time? So, you know, where does this go? I I don't know. This story has not yet been written. But I think it really depends on if we're willing not only just to listen and not shut down everything we disagree with calling the other person a racist. I mean, change does take time. And I think, you know, it's whoever puts their talk into action, whoever leads and actually does something. That's when the change happens. Well, Julia Blake can uh, call for calm and pray for the police while her son lays in a hospital bed, then I think we should listen. And that's one of the biggest problems we face right now is that we don't listen. It's just constant screaming over each other and it's solving absolutely nothing.
And so what we're seeing with our neighbors, it's even worse because they're out there destroying communities and it makes big headlines, but then those headlines fade and these communities are absolutely left in ruin and nothing changes. And so now we've got the NBA calling for a boycott. We've got other sports teams joining in. And boycotts are not new in sport, but the question in 2020 is, does it and will it accomplish anything other than a hashtag and a T-shirt? Wayne Dupree of the Wayne Dupree Show joining me now. And Wayne, I take it this is a very big topic on your show, and uh, I thank you for joining us. Hey, Alex, how are you? I am happy to be here. And uh, sooner or later, I'm going to have to come up there, man. I mean, y'all got a beautiful country up there in Canada. We do. Once we open the border, uh, you can come visit and, uh, you know, spend oh, that's some right. in our that's country. That's right. The COVID thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, man. Okay. Right. But, you know, it's interesting, Wayne, because whatever happens in your country, um, we don't have the same issues here in Canada. We're certainly not perfect, but we yeah, don't have that. these deep relation, race relation issues as, the Amer- as America does. However, right. it does spill over into Canada. And the Raptors um, have been a b- very big part in support oh, yeah. of uh, Black Lives yeah. Matter. Right. And they support the boycott. Um, how do you see the NBA boycott or the, what they're doing? <laughs> I, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you asked me that. Um... You know, I'm not, I'm all about activists, but I'm not about part-time token activism. Um, The way that I look at the NBA is they wait till they get on the court and then they want to be heard. When they, when they are in the off season, you don't hear anything from them. And that's what a whole lot of people don't understand. Or if they see it, they don't want to say anything about it. Um, They're claiming that they're using their platform to be heard, but guess what? your millionaires times over. If, I mean, when the season is over, you should be uh, uh, talking about the situation that you believe in. But the problem is they, you know, they go on vacation. uh, They have their little parties. They take the little pictures on pictures and movies on Instagram, drinking and, and, and twerking and all that stuff. But you, but you don't see them doing any types of activism. You mentioned that they were doing the boycott. Well, guess what? They're back at playing basketball again. I mean, it was only one game. They they didn't lose any money, you know, and they're back at playing. So, I mean, what does that teach uh, individuals that are saying, well, yeah, we believe in you. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, they're right back playing basketball. You know, the NBA has very, very deep pockets um, and they can be very influential. It's obviously election year in your country. And so mm-hmm. I, I kind of look at it and say, OK, you got you guys, players and the league itself have a lot of power um, that the league itself could invest in these communities. Yeah. Certainly uh, create jobs, um, you know, create mentorship programs, Vocation. create opportunity. Yeah. Have yeah. we ever seen like that? that? No. No, because no, because again, when the lights are off, when the arenas are closed, they go about their business, and you know, uh, like like I've been saying on social media, and I I even said this on my show. It, look, President Trump, like him, love him, don't like him, whatever. Uh, he gives up his paycheck, so why can't they give up their paycheck? They want the federal government to make all these changes in the communities, but they won't go or they won't take the time to go to the community meetings and talk to the community council members 
and find out what's going on within the communities and and which is why the communities are that way. You know, they don't know anything about the community, but they are looking to the federal government to make the change. You know, you look back at uh, when Barack Obama was in office, four major, well, not major black um, uh, kids or men, but uh, um, uh, Freddie Gray out of Baltimore, Eric Garner out of New Jersey, Michael Brown, uh, and also Trayvon Martin, they all were killed under Barack Obama. Nobody talked about shutting down the NBA. Nobody talked about pro. Um, uh, 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 nobody called the president a bad. Nobody called Barack Obama a bad name. They didn't even touch him. But now they want to blame everything on on Trump. It's not fair. It's not fair. Now but they'll call. But now they'll call that one aboutism. I mean, it isn't fair. But but politics is not fair. But then I look true. at the players, and I think like you know the players do a lot of um, charity work. I mean, not all, but I, I know the Raptors do a ton of charity work. But I think they could have a lot of influence by um, making things like Big Brother, um, you know, uh, uh, cool again, creating these mentorship programs where people you know get involved with um, young black men who might not have a father figure. Um, You know, help create things like playgrounds, community centers, uh, invest in the communities that are so vulnerable. I mean, we've had a huge amount of gun crime in the city of Toronto. It's -hmm. almost out of control, but it's now so regular. We just shrug our shoulders at it. But the real change um, won't come from a hashtag. It has to be that these guys use their influence to say, hey, get involved in someone else's life. Right, right, right. And even though they're doing that, they can do more. I mean, it... Again, they're asking the federal government. They're asking the federal government to do more. They can do more. They are millionaires. Um, again, you don't see videos of them speaking to community leaders. Uh, LeBron James, you want change in California? You want change in Cleveland? Talk to the governor. The governor is in charge of that state. Talk to the state leaders. They're the ones being elected to run the state. You had, I mean, it, it's like. It's like nobody knows civics anymore. Nobody knows um, how government works. They just want to lash out at the top. And honestly, if the top was making the decisions, then they would be blaming uh, uh, the president for, well, you're you're being a tyrant or you're being a dictator because, you know, well, I mean, actually, they already do that anyway. But, I mean, it it goes farther than um, sports. Uh mm-hmm. You know Hollywood, different things like that. They all want to blame the person in Washington D.C., but they don't want to speak to the leaders that are making the decisions for their their communities and neighborhoods and everything like that. So, um, you know, it it all starts with the family. It all starts with the family, Alex. I mean, these families, and I'm sure that you understand mm-hmm. in Canada, uh, families build communities. And when families are broken, communities are broken. So, you know, it all starts at the bottom. It doesn't start at the top. You know, when we talk about this, you know, we don't actually really have an honest conversation about how important family units are um, to stopping what we're seeing with young black youth, you know, where they're getting recruited into gangs uh, Mm -hmm. at such a young age and and what having a father figure can do. I mean, you've got three or four, four children, three young children. I got three. Yes, ma'am. Three. Yep. Okay. Um, what, what do you tell your children? I mean, what, what is the message and the, the values that you instill in them? 
the number one thing, love your brothers and sisters. Love them. Be there for them because nobody else is. I'm not going to be here forever. And I have to hope that y'all take care of each other when I'm gone. So take care of each other while I'm here. So that I know, so, so, so that, uh, so that my heart is, um, so that my heart is happy. Uh, I also teach them respect and responsibility. My children aren't out there in the street. They, uh, they, they aren't, uh, they aren't rip like my mom and dad used to say, they aren't ripping and running mm-hmm. around. They're doing what they need to do. Um, and I give them independence. I'm not all up in their lives and stuff like that. Uh, I got two girls that are 17. They're going to graduate next year. I got um, a son that is 23. And again, they, they aren't in trouble and they're doing the right thing, but you got to respect your elders. You got to respect the people that are, uh, uh, that have not rule over you, but that, that, that have authority over you. And they've, look, they've done a great job and I can't wait to see, uh, I can't wait to see the harvest. (laughs) I can't wait to see what happens when they get out on their own, but uh, you reap what you sow, in other words. Exactly, right. So, so did you, and, and with a 23-year-old son, um, you, you know, have you ever talked to him or worried when he leaves the house? Uh, you know, yes. did you ever have to have a talk with him about the police? You know, um, I have a, I've had a talk to him about police, but not in a scary sense to scare him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I tell him, I'm like, listen, you get pulled over, respect. Don't I mean if they give you a chance to call, which which they usually will, call somebody. Don't fuss. Don't act crazy. Wait till you wait till they get you into the building and then you call and then we'll take care from there. Because what we see on on videos, you know, YouTube videos and stuff is so many young people that from from jump. They want to disrespect the police. They don't want to listen. They don't want to follow rules. They don't want to do anything that the police says. So when the police gets frustrated, and 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 some of these people think that the police are gonna just um, hand them milk and cookies and sit down for about two or three hours, and until he gets what he wants, the police are not wasting their time like that. Either you obey or you're gonna to go to jail. And, you know, these kids today, man, I, I mean, I, we didn't see this when I was growing up. I, I'm telling you, we didn't see it like this, you know. So it, it's, 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 it's weird watching it on video all the time. Mm-hmm. But somebody's got to talk to them. So, somebody's got to reach out to the kids. And going back to the NBA people, y'all got millions of money. Talk to them. Talk to them. Somebody, a, a lot of these kids don't have parents or fathers. Talk to them and then follow up. We've had in the last few years, groups like Black Lives Matter uh, come into play. I mean, and there's been a real push. I I don't know about the United States, but we used to have officers, certainly in vulnerable areas, go into the schools. It was a a, a exercise of, you know, making sure that kids knew who they could turn to, an element of safety, building Mm -hmm. bridges. Those programs um, have been pushed out of the schools, which I think is a mistake because I think if you teach young people from the beginning that the police are there and not all of them are good, you know that Wayne, right, we right, both right. know that, but they're not all bad. 
Um, in Toronto, certainly we have a very diverse police. Um, you know, we've got young and upcoming recruits who are young and diverse who have come from these vulnerable communities. But it is such a us versus them. And I'm not sure how we get back to building that bridge if we don't allow programs like policing in schools and those kinds of programs, police in, um, you know, uh, in walking around the neighborhoods. Um, you know, right. can you speak to that? You know what? That's... That's um, I've talked about that on my show too because it's like Pandora's box. You don't know you you're hoping that you can close it, but for the most part, that box I mean the 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 um, the, the top is open. It's like how in the world do we how do we rein it back? Um, and for the most part, we can't. So we have to adapt in a way to update the the values and core family principles and then bring it into to slow down what's happening because right now it's almost like a train wreck it's almost well, like a you know i mean the cops are under i mean it's got to be a you know they've got to feel like they're under attack at all times i would think if you're a police officer right now and again not all of them are are, are good right. but certainly not all of them are bad but it would be almost impossible to do your job if you feel like you're under attack all the time um you know with groups like black lives matter and that that coming after them well another thing that i think is that they need to get rid of the blue wall i yeah. support i support policemen i do yeah. I was in the military. I understand what they're going through. Okay. But they need to get rid of the blue wall and they mm -hmm. need to get rid of the old, old time leadership. And they need mm -hmm. to um, bring, not bring back accountability because they really don't have that much right now. They need to bring accountability into uh, the police ranks. You get in trouble for what you do. That's, right. you know, if, if, if you do something, there is no more blue wall. You will be held liable for everything that you do. You and 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 uh, the reason why I say you get rid of the older guys. I don't have anything against el elderly policemen or whatnot, but they are biased. They are super biased. So when they're teaching these rookies about these communities, it's it's from a biased perspective. Their hate for that certain community gets pushed off on these rookies, and then the rookies push it off on the people that they train. And it's a continuous cycle. So there has to be a whole lot of a, a, accountability has to be brought into that. But then from a community standpoint, it's the same way. A lot of the people in the community need to be accountable for how they treat the police mm -hmm. because they're being taught to not trust the police. They're being taught not to conversate. And to, so it's, it's on both sides. You, there has to be a meeting of the minds where people are willing to listen. And in in today's time, you, um, I think you kind of touched on this before. People don't want to listen. They don't want to conversate. They're quick to get on a mic and say, "We need to have a conversation," but they really don't want to have a conversation. Right. They really don't have solutions, so they really don't have want to have a conversation. But they want to get on there and yell at the other person. They want to say you're wrong, and then the other person say you're wrong, and you're spinning. Uh, two or three hours and nobody's learning anything. Well, on that point, you know, before I wrap things up with you, um, if you looked at the at this, what we're going through right now, would you look at this as a movement or are we in a moment? Wow. You know what? I don't think it's a movement. I really don't. I think it's a moment. Because if it was a movement, 
you would have a whole lot of people that were dedicated into making the change. Like I said before, the NBA skipped the game, still got paid, and are restarting the playoffs. I don't get it. I mean, if if and and plus the Lakers and the and and the Clippers came out and said, well, we're boycotting the season. If they take the floor, their 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 um their decision, people are gonna look at him like, what? You know, so it, I mean, to me, it's more of a a moment than a movement. And Alex, I I'm sure, yeah, I, I'm not an expert. I'm sure we can come back from it. I'm sure we can. We just have feckless leaders, man. We mm-hmm. we got we got individuals that have tissue paper feelings and they uh, legislate on on the edge of their seat instead of legislating from the, from a constitution perspective. Right. And you're in an election year. We could be going to an election very soon in this country. We have a leader that took a knee, uh, but uh, it's all symbolic. But again, we have not seen any policies that actually bring change. And so what we get is a whole lot of talk and zero walk. Uh, Wayne, I I hate to to let you go. I could talk for a whole lot longer. Oh, we're going to do it again. Okay, perfect. I will demand of that. But uh, I appreciate your insight into this and uh, for joining us and sharing uh, your, your perspective on it. So awesome. And um, for those that are listening and for those that follow Alex, make sure that you share. Now, she didn't tell me to do this. Now, I'm, 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 doing it on my own. I'm doing it on my own and she ain't paying me either. Uh, no, I don't have money. Yeah, see, but um, no, I, I want y'all to make sure that y'all share her message. Uh, you know, we don't have a whole lot of voices out here like hers today. And uh, a lot of us are being stifled and, 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 um, shoved in the corner so that you can't hear us. You have to share the message. You have to share what she's saying so that more people of like minds are able to say, hey, wait a minute, she's saying what I believe in. Let me follow her. And y'all just keep sharing what? Um, just keep sharing and sharing and sharing. That, that's, that's my hope. So next time when I come back on, mm-hmm. we're going to talk some more. I will uh, hold you to it. Wayne, I appreciate your time very much. Thank you. Not a problem. God bless. That is Wayne Dupree of the Wayne Dupree Show. And of course, my listeners probably know exactly where to find that on the dial. But uh, I, do, I do hope he comes back because uh, we do have to have the conversation. Uh, after this, we'll uh, jump into a bit about what's uh, the latest in COVID-19, because apparently that's still a thing. And we'll do that next. Stay with us, Alex Pearson on Point. This is Global News Radio. A couple of headlines caught my eye, which really speak to where the government has dropped the ball as far as I'm concerned during this pandemic. I mean, in one headline, it says restaurants plea for government support as more than half of our country's eateries face bankruptcy. I mean, imagine that we're talking almost 60 percent of restaurants that could simply vanish in the next three months. And then I read the other headline that up to a quarter of payments that went to Canadians during COVID-19 went to those in families who have six-figure in- incomes. And the SERB program has been praised since the get-go. It was efficient. It was fast. It got money in people's pockets. But the Fraser Institute dug into the numbers and finds $22 billion went into the pockets of people who don't need help, not help at all. And even though the problem, uh, the problems are out there, I mean, the government knows about these problems, They just continue to extend the program without changing or fixing what's broken. 
Jason Clemens is executive vice president of Fraser Institute and co-authored this particular report. Jason, the numbers are staggering. Uh, staggering and quite worrying, uh, particularly as you note that there just doesn't seem to be any interest uh, in Ottawa or any particular inclination to better target assistance to those uh, to those in need, both in terms of reducing assistance uh, or if not eliminating it for those who just don't need it. Uh, but at the same time, looking at a number of different uh, Canadian households that really do seem to need more assistance than they're getting right now. Right. Uh, but there's, I mean, it was so easy to get this program. The one good thing about it, it was easy to get. The very bad thing about this is that the wrong people started getting it. And, and no one seems bothered by the fact that they're, A, cheating the system and taking from those who really are in need. I think early on, um, and certainly I think Minister Morneau's resignation provides some fodder for this view that the PMO made a decision that it was more important to be expedient than effective. And so the problem now is we're five months into this and there's increasing data, again, that we're helping uh, uh, over, well, millions of Canadians who don't necessarily need the help Mm -hmm. at the same time that there are a significant number of Canadian households who are not getting the help they need. Right. And, and when you dug into the, the numbers and their stats can numbers, so it's not like Fraser came up with the, the numbers, 11.8 billion in these payments um, likely uh, went to young people who had part time jobs, but they live at home with their mom and dad who make over six figures. So again, we've heard the stories of employers who cannot get their staff back. That's who we're talking about. That's right. And, and the key for that particular group that we looked at is those are dependent children. So according to StatCan definition, they're not the primary or even secondary earner in the household. They're a dependent child. And mm-hmm. now again, we could have a 22-year-old who's the primary earner, but we've excluded them. So we're only looking at dependent children in that particular analysis. And as you, as you indicated, uh, we are talking almost $12 billion, and that doesn't include the recent uh, announcement of CERB being extended. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was the other further $7 billion, uh, you know, spouses. So if, let's say your husband made six figures, the wife decided, oh, look, I can go and get some money to lunch with the ladies. I mean, that that is an, another staggering figure. And it's just it reeks of, um, you know, opportunism, exploitation. But the bottom line is it's not going to stop, as you say, if the throne speech passes and we've got another $37 billion going out in aid to people who don't need it. Uh, and, and an um, unemployment insurance program that is so crazy that it's almost as if you think that they made a mistake when they said, if you've worked three weeks of a year, you now qualify for six weeks of unemployment insurance. I mean, it's nuts. Well, sorry, I, I would agree with all those concerns. I would, I would couple those concerns with the prime minister and the prime minister's office more generally doesn't seem to be concerned with the level of borrowing that's being done, uh, the interest risk that is increasing by the months in terms of Canada's debt load and, and what could happen if there was even small increases in our interest rates. Um, and so you, you couple those two with the fact that the, the government has now announced that they intend to bring forward a transformative throne speech and budget potentially in the fall it, it, it's all the more worrying then that they don't seem to be either interested in or have the ability to learn some lessons from the last five months 
in terms of providing income transfers to people whose need is at least questionable, while at the same time really missing people who are in some pretty dire circumstances. Yeah, I mean, and you look to the seniors top up. I mean, you could get $500 for seniors who are in need. We got a lot of those people on a fixed income in this country. And, you know, those who are making $260,000 are able to qualify. Those are not the people that need it. You know, they're going to take it. Therefore, you're taking it right out of the hands of those who literally are trying to afford some groceries and prescription drugs. Uh, it, It really angers me. I just don't see it ending, Jason, because... It's hard to take away stuff once you've put it in. I mean, no one seems to remember what Margaret Thatcher says. Is basically, I mean, at some point you'll run out of other... The problem with socialism is that at some point you do run out of other people's monies. But right now, no one is thinking like that. Well, I, I think it's a really interesting point that you raise. And I, and I do think in many ways we are really back to a conversation kind of circa 1992, 93. Um, and it will be interesting if... If some of the members of the Liberal Party, uh, particularly some of the older folks who've been around long enough to remember uh, the kind of reforms that Prime Minister Chrétien and Finance Minister Paul Martin brought in that, again, held the country in very good stead for the better part of 15 years. Mm -hmm. Some of the discussion at that point is exactly what we were talking about now, which is Paul Martin having the fortitude and the honesty to stand up and say – we are spending beyond our means. And so the choice is we are either going to have to increase taxes, which frankly we can't because we're not competitive now, or we have to start prioritizing our, our needs and our wants. And there are things that we are just doing right now that we can't do anymore. And I think secondly, which is an important point, I don't think the government has been full right with Canadians about some of the programs they've enacted Mm-hmm. particularly transfers based on children, where the entirety of the expansion of that program is based on borrowing. And so ostensibly what's happening is we're telling parents we're going to make you a little bit better off now by making your children a little bit worse off in the future. And I, I think Canadians are very practical people, and I think if, if the decision is made in those terms, I think Canadians would be willing to say, look, we have to start spending within our means again because we don't, we, we don't want to be saddling the next generation and their children because we weren't able to pay our bills. Yeah. Well, no one cares about the next generation because you worry about those things, you know, later. You can always kick that can down down the line, which is, is the thinking. But, you know, when I read the headline and I kind of kicked off this segment talking about, you know, that up to 60 percent of the restaurants might go bankrupt in this country because those are the businesses that could not qualify for help. It's not that they did anything wrong. It's not that they weren't good at what they did. They were shut down out of no fault of their own. And the program set up for them had way too many hurdles for them to qualify for and now it's almost too late. Well, certainly there has been much more interest on the part of Ottawa in stabilizing the incomes of individuals than there has been in trying to help businesses, particularly those businesses that are on the front line of the of the lockdown. Uh, tourism uh, would be another area that, that has been right. incredibly uh, hurt. Uh, again, there just doesn't seem to be that much interest on the part of Ottawa in stabilizing that part of the economy. No, the only economy they are stabilizing is their vote economy, and that is uh, the sad reality of it. Scary numbers, uh, but um, important numbers, so I appreciate you uh, joining us to break them down, Jason. My pleasure. Thank you.
That's uh, Jason Clements from the Fraser Institute. It's just, it's disgusting, frankly. It is disgusting because at some point we got to pay it back. We can all kid ourselves that we don't, but we do. And it, God help us if in, you know interest rates go up, we are screwed. And I'm being very polite because there's another word I'd like to use, okay. but I would lose my job. That is your podcast for today. Of course, you can join us live Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 10. I'm Alex Pearson.